Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight, somebody say tonight. Tonight. It's September 29th, 2021. Wow. We're family. Yeah. So because of that, we're going to have a fantastic night tonight. Yeah. In light of that, how could we not reflect on what just took place this last Sunday? But we're going to jump into Word, and we're going to talk more about it. Look at Numbers 8. Numbers 8, picking up in verse 10, says this. You are to bring the Levites before the Lord, and the Israelites are to lay their hands on them. Aaron is to present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the Israelites so that they may be ready to do the work of the Lord. In light of this past Sunday, are you guys blessed by just how much Pastor Nick... Pastor Judah, Pastor Peyton are a gift to this body. I know that you are, LCM. We know that you are. We know that you are full of confidence knowing that the Lord has given them to this body to prepare us for our works of service. These pastors are an example of this way of life that has been passed down to us. See, 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this very reason... I have sent to you, Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See, we see that example in our pastors. We see them carrying on a way of life that has come down all the way from Paul, that he got it from Moses, that he got it from Abraham. This has been passed down all the way to us here at LCM. There's been a line forming through the generations. An unbroken line, an unbroken chain. See, it didn't start with LCM. But you can guarantee yourself that it's going to continue through LCM. Amen. These brothers, these pastors remind us of this way of life. And what a blessing it is to know that they have been ordained to build up this body and help shepherd this flock. Say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. They're a blessing just like Timothy was to the churches. In fact, we've been talking about this continuation of the line, how it has to continue going. I know that we're going to take our place. I know that we are working in this. We're working at this to continue this line. But the question is, who's next? Come on. Come on. Who's, Who's next who's going to continue that line? The title of tonight's sermon is, in fact, Who's Next? But, you know, uh, we, we got to be honest. We didn't start off knowing that we needed to form a God-ordained team. Like we didn't know no. we needed a team. No, we may have traveled together, went and partied together. We may have prayed for people. We may have prayed for people while I was unsaved together. <laughs> but we didn't know that we needed a God-ordained team. Praise God that he brings revelation. And we see throughout scripture that this is something that had to be learned through the most venerated men in scripture, in the Bible. So let's pick up in Exodus 4. When you guys get to Exodus chapter 4, say, who's next? Come on. All right, picking up in verse 13, it says this. 
But, but Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. So in context here, and just to give a little bit of context in, in Exodus 4, Moses is 40 years removed from seeking to save his people in his own strength. He's now 80 years old. In fact, we learn in, in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, that he rose as the great deliverer of his people, but it didn't turn out the way he expected. In fact, he ended up running on the run after killing an Egyptian, but he was able at least to put to death his single pastor model. Praise God for that. So thank God for that. We'll take that. Yeah. So in Exodus 4, Moses is before the Lord. He's 80 years old now. And we have to ask ourselves, what happened? How did Moses get to this place? Was Moses called to deliver his people? Yes or no? Yes. Was Moses anointed for this task? Was Moses called to do this on his own? The answer is no. So what is Moses' issue? Look at verse 13 again. He says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Moses is missing, out, missing, here, missing something here. He's saying, please send somebody else to do it. In other words, because I couldn't do it, because I failed, Lord, you need to pick another man to go deliver the people. Somebody who was more anointed, somebody who was more gifted, somebody who was more in tune with the heavens. But Moses is missing something that is integral in God's plan. Not only that, Moses' timing was off. He could rightly discern that God wanted to do something with his people. He could rightly see that God wanted to save the nation of Israel and bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery. But his timing was off. See, I, I know, Bim, it's, it's only Moses that, that has done that. Yeah. It's only Moses that struggled with that. My timing has never been I know. Off. I've never seen a problem that I couldn't wrap my arms around. So I said, Lord, Lord, you must mean this for some other man, some other single pastor model. This must be for somebody else because I can't see how I can accomplish that. This is me and Moses. Me, Moses, and Nick. I, I'll take that company. I'm not the only one who has been called to a God-ordained task, and he's spoken to me, hey, this is what I've called you to do. And I've worked through the fact that, Lord, Lord, I, I, I can't do that. But also, I'm the only one, me, Moses, and maybe Nick, having our timing off. Like, yes, God said to do that, but he has a specific time in mind. We're the only men uh, in, in the room. Okay, all right, take a roll of who all said that. See, God had an ordained specific time for when he would deliver his people. He spoke it long ago through Abraham. And he was going to accomplish it through one man. No. He was going to accomplish it through a God-ordained team. You're telling me that God has planned for deliverance of a people. He has planned to bring them into a, a great land. 
but he's, he's doing it at a specific time with a specific team. Yeah. Is that how God works? Yes. I submit it to you, yes. What does the Lord tell Moses in response? Let's reread verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses as if the Lord needed Moses' help and he didn't know the issues that Moses had. Again, this is my interaction with the scripture. What about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on the way. See, Moses was never meant to do this alone. He wasn't called to deliver Israel by himself. And the Lord's response to him shows that the Lord already had a God-ordained team. See, if you look at some Jewish sources of history, they will say that Aaron got the, the revelation the same way at the exact same time that Moses did. That, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thought. That at the time that Moses was realizing that he couldn't do this by himself, God had already sent his teammate. That's a beautiful thought that we need to grab a hold of. Amen. It's already on the way. So the question is, what about you? You are a people called of God, anointed for the task of bringing this way of life to the nations. Every nation on that map, Azerbaijan, Tajikistan, however you say that, all of them. We, we may not know where you're called to yet. You may not know where you're called to, but it doesn't change the fact that the Lord has appointed people in this body to go and to stay. You are a people that is called for this task. Whether you're called to be fivefold, and we, we, we've been, been growing in that confidence and learning just the special nature of that calling. But also, if you're called to be a pillar, that is the goal. There is no in-between. There is no third option. Either you are operating as a servant in the body through the way that he anoints you, or you're operating as a pillar and the foundation of the truth. Who is the church? We are. So either you're serving the church or you're operating as a pillar that holds up the church. That is, that's, that's the two kind of people that we have in this body and we'll settle for nothing less. In the same way, God is an ordained team for an ordained time for Moses. He has these things in store for you. Rest assured. This is assuring and brings confidence because you know that God is working everything out. I mean everything to do to the minute detail of the timing that he would arrive, to the place that he would arrive. He's working it out in accordance with his will as you are partnering with him right now. This is beautiful. We established early on that while the Lord was speaking to Moses, simultaneously he's also speaking to Aaron. God was forming his God-ordained team. Yeah. Let's pick up in verse 27 of Exodus 4. Take, check this out. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. As a result of God bringing Moses and Aaron together to form his God-ordained team, look at what they went on to do as a team. They worked together to confront Pharaoh. They stood together in front of Pharaoh and his officials. They worked together to administer God's justice. Do you remember the ten plagues? They worked together to shepherd God's people and to bring Torah to the entire world. How extraordinary is that? That's not a task for one man. God's ordained team through Moses and Aaron, they were working together, and look at what the Lord produced through them. This is what happens when they seek to partner 
with God to function in his ordained team in his ordained time. That is, that is so beautiful. Look at that. They arrived at the mountain of God at the very same time. Think, think about how that works. What if one leaves a day later or gets antsy and leaves a day before? You don't arrive at the mountain of God together and are greeted with a brotherly kiss. That, that is something that is, that is so uh, encouraging, and it should be encouraging to you. Because the thing about it, maybe Moses and Aaron didn't realize the full scope of what God was calling them to. He didn't realize that the full scope of the deliverance that he was bringing, not only to the people, but that he was bringing them the Torah to the entire world. But at the moment that they got that revelation, they started to move. Amen. Now, Moses had a time where he was like, Lord, I don't know. And the Lord, Lord did, showed him miracles to prove to him that he was with them. But what did, what did Moses do? He, he had some struggles. Lord, Lord, send somebody else. At the moment he got the revelation, though, he started to move. Yeah. We have to operate in God's ordained team at his God-ordained time. We have to trust him, church. Amen. Uh, they, arrived, they arrived at the mountain of God at the same time. You can't make that up. But when you trust the Lord, when we trust the Lord, and we devote ourselves to him, he can do anything. For those in the room who are waiting for God's ordained team, faithfulness to this principle will cause righteousness from heaven to rain down on you. Much like Psalm 85 says, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Yeah. See, if you wait in faithfulness on this principle, doing the right thing that the Lord has told you to do today, yeah. practicing what he's laid out in front of you, this will cause righteousness to, to rain down from heaven and to kiss your God-ordained team, Amen. to bless it. What we see here with Moses and Aaron, it sparked something. It began a pattern in Israel all the way. If you read the Pirkei vote, this started with what Lord, the Lord did in Moses and, and Aaron and all the way to, to Jesus' time. It sparked something in Israel. God-ordained teams for God-ordained times. This is the biblical pattern and the line that it started, it continued on through the generations. Amen. The question we have is, Who's next? Amen. Who's next? Come on, come on. This biblical pattern that we see with Moses and Aaron, we can also see here in 1 Kings chapter 19. So you guys turn there. When you get there, say, who's next? Who's next? Okay, 1 Kings 19, picking up in verse 3, says this. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. Okay, this is pretty dramatic, huh? In the last three verses. Afraid for his life, now he's laying under a tree, falling asleep. Okay. In context of what's going on with Elijah, the, the previous chapter in 1 Kings chapter 18, 
Elijah just successfully stared down 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, and he put them to shame. Like he made a, a mocking of them. Fire fell down from heaven. It was miraculous. The people of God turned back to the Lord. They cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He put the prophets of Baal and Asherah to shame. He rightly represented God and his judgments with miraculous attestations and, and uh, supernatural signs and wonders. But in 1 Kings 19 here, he has gone from the heights of being the man of God, of God using him in supernatural ways. And he has fallen in 1 Kings 19 to the deepest of despair, irrationally fearing for his own life. It's not because he didn't have people around him, though. Did you guys catch that in verse 3? Right at the end of verse 3. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. It's not because Elijah did not have people around him. He had a servant after all. I mean, he had an associate, junior, pastor as his accountability buddy. But, but that's not the same as an equal. You notice, notice he left his servant there. His servant was not uh, worthy enough to speak into his life, so he left him behind. See, you can do that with a servant, but you cannot do that with an equal. You can dismiss a servant, but you cannot dismiss an equal. What we saw in Moses' life early in Exodus 4, there was an issue of timing. He knew what the Lord wanted to do, but his timing was off, and the Lord fixed it for him. But what's the issue here with Elijah? We can see here in 1 Kings 19 that the weight of being the man of God, having to, to deal with the spiritual warfare, having to deal with the people, having to deal with the prophets of Baal, having to deal with the idolatry in the land and be the one standing up for righteousness, this weight of being poured out again and again and being exposed to death was beginning to get to Elijah. You guys notice when he says things like, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Can you guys relate to that? I've, I can relate to this many, many times. There are things that the Lord puts upon me, and I'm like, Lord, I cannot do this. Lord, I just want to go to sleep. I just want to put this blanket over myself and just hide because this is too much. Yeah, Chris, wow, I'm with you. It's like. He, he understood that something was taking place, this weight of responsibility, and he couldn't handle it. Look, he's not even in a position, he's not in this position from a lack of working to get this right. We just established early on in 1 Kings 18 that he's doing what God wants him to do. But this kind of weight that Elijah is feeling right here wasn't meant for him to bear by himself. That's why he feels the weight, but it wasn't meant for him to carry alone church, just to give you a little insight, one way that the Lord goes about getting your attention for a need of a God-ordained team is to put more weight on you that you are able to handle by yourself. He is getting Elijah's attention saying, you need a God-ordained team, and I'm going to put this weight on, to, on you until you cry out for this team. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's go on to see how the Lord addresses Elijah crying out to him in verse 15. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, 
king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. In verse 15, you see that we still have to face the very same problems head on. He had to go back the way he came. The Lord did not make a mistake in, in bringing this to him. And nobody, nobody in our group is going to say that, that Elisha wasn't a boss. Uh, that nobody in here is going to say that he, he is not the, the prophet of Israel. But we see here the weight that he was bearing, the Lord was, was putting on him to show him that he needed to raise up an equal. That he needed other men around him that could do the very same thing. So it's great. You can, you can bear the weight. I mean, you are, you are, you're a man of God. You can carry the load. But who is being raised up as your equal? Come on. It's great that you have been anointed, that you have been called, that you can operate in all these giftings. But who is being anointed as your equal? Yeah. See, the Lord will allow us to feel that weight and to feel that pressure so that we realize that, hey, I need another man next to me doing this. I need the next generation standing up where I am, doing the very same things that I'm doing. And that is a blessing. The blessing is that you don't have to do it alone. Praise God, we'll all do it. The Lord says, hey, go and take that hill. We'll go take it, no matter who comes. But praise God that we don't have to do that alone because he has put us in a God-ordained body. He's put us in a God-ordained association that we can take that hill together. And that is a blessing, my friends. That is liberating, not uh, constricting. See, there's a load that we all have to rightly bear. It's it's right that we all bear the load that the Lord has put on us. It's his discipline to us. He is making us into sun soldiers. And you need the God-ordained team to help you carry the burden that God has called us to bear shoulder to shoulder. See what this looks like in our lives, what it looks like in my life. The transparency with sharing the load of of pastoring my own home. Yes, it is my load. It's it's my my load. I'm called to do that. But I'm not called to make these life-changing, life-altering decisions by myself. I have a God-ordained team. And it is liberating to know that we can hear together as four people instead of just two. That is a blessing to have the Deramolas in that team. And now we're joined with the pastors doing the very same thing. That is liberating. And that's not just for these men. Remember we said, whether you're called to be fivefold, whether you're called to be a pillar that stands righteously to support the church of the living God, this is how we're all called to operate. Just to give you guys some telltale signs, right? Maybe you're out there thinking, well, Tell us, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Elijah. I'm not facing down 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. What are some of the telltale signs in my life? I can tell you that there are times where I am praying with my wife about a specific subject, besieging the heavens, hoping that it's going to part and the Lord will give me a revelation for my family. And the entire time is like, hey, go, go talk to your brother. Go back the way you came. Yeah, go, go pray <laughs> with your brother. I desire to speak to you guys here. This is where my glory rests. I want to help you guys get this, that the Lord, he's a good father and he is, he is putting things in our lives so that we can work together in his God-ordained team. Yeah. Yeah. How can you see what you can't see? That makes sense, right? You can't see what you can't see, right? I can't see this spot on my shoulder, even though I know it's there. 
That's why we have God-ordained teams. And would God give that to some in the body, but then say, oh, no, you, you're called to go it alone, fix it by yourself? No. No. But do we treat them like that? Not anymore. How can you carry what seems to be an enormous amount of weight by yourself for an extended period of time? You can't. That's the point. You need the God-ordained team. You get the God-ordained team. Amen. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all want to know how we're going to storm that map? Yeah. The yellow on that map, you want to know? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. As one God-ordained team that is functioning in God-ordained teams. Amen. See, this is not a teams off to themselves. Like, oh, I got my group over here, and I love those brothers. I respect them, but we got our group over here, and, you know, we're cooking something over here. We make it happen over here. No. No. <laughs> the body is being joined like sinews, like ligaments. Amen. It's being joined and connected so that when it hits something, it hits with force. It hits with momentum. It, hit, it hits with the weight behind it. That's what we're called to move in, church. See, from this point forward in Elijah's life and in Elisha's life and in Jehu's life, when the odds were against them, they had each other. When they felt down, they had each other. When the cost got high, they sacrificed with each other. Is this not a blessing? Do you want this? It is promised to us. I know that we are experiencing the blessing of carrying the burden shoulder to shoulder. We're experiencing that blessing. They brought revival to Israel together. They made disciples who made disciples. They were not just the prophet and the successor like some successful business model. No, they had a company of prophets that were working in tandem. They were not a team unto themselves. They were teams who led teams. This is beautiful. Yeah. What we can see here with what the Lord is doing here in Elijah, spreading the burden amongst his brothers with Elisha and Jehu, it sparks something in Israel. God ordained teams for God ordained burdens. This is the biblical pattern and the line must continue. So the question that we have is, who's next? You guys turn to Daniel chapter 2 and let's look at this biblical pattern continue. We get to Daniel chapter 2, pick it up in verse 16, say, who's next? Look at what it says here in verse 16. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Pick it up in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You guys notice here in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel is not waiting for a circumstance to take place and then he goes to form a team. Rather, he already is in a team and he runs to them when there is an issue. There's a difference. It's not, it's not I'm in this circumstance. This is getting too much for me, so let me go try to find a team. He's working in a God-ordained team already, and because of the circumstance, he's able to go and talk to his brothers. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these men of God, they worked as a team with Daniel. And, and look at what the scripture first says about these men. Pick it up in verse, or just reread in verse 17. It says that he explained the matter to his friends. 
They were a team, but they were friends first. This is what it looks like to work in a God-ordained team. Like my brother said, it's not a, it's not a business model. These men were brothers. They were friends. We learned with Moses and Aaron, we saw in their relationship the importance of brotherhood. With Elijah and Elisha, we learned the, the, that we can see in their lives that they shared the same mantle, the same anointing, the same gifting. Here with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we see a friendship that is the basis of their God-ordained team. Amen. So it's not, it's not looking for somebody in the body that's the same height as you, kind of dresses like you, and then we can work together as a team. It doesn't work like that. Let's get a spreadsheet together. No, it doesn't work like that. The way it operates is these men had a foundation of being friends in the first place. Y'all get that? So as, as we are faithfully operating in God's timing, faithfully doing the things that he's told us to do, just like Moses and Aaron, as we are faithfully sharing the burden uh, and sharing the load with our brothers, recognize that God is bringing the God-ordained team. Amen. But the basis of that, how you start that process, is based on friendship. What makes the things that we do work? I mean, when it gets difficult, when it gets hard, when you get mad at each other, when, when, when it, what makes this work is the fact that we're family. Amen. When, when the X's and the O's don't line up and the numbers don't line up, the, the, what remains is that we are family. And this is the basis of them uh, hearing from God together. This is the basis of a pretty uh, important revelation that is coming to Israel. In Moses and Elijah's case, the Lord had to reveal to them that, hey, you, you need a God-ordained team to accomplish my will. Here in Daniel, we see he's already operating in the God-ordained team, whether or not they knew it or not. And we're getting a snapshot of what it looks like to operate in that team. Does, it, does that bless you to know what it looks like to operate in a God-ordained team? In Daniel 1.6, all four of them were mentioned together as being exiles out of uh, Israel. In the same chapter, in verse 17, it says that the Lord anointed them with very special giftings, and they stood above their companions. Yeah. See, these men shared experiences together. They shared difficulties together. They saw their nation uh, raised to the ground. They shared the giftings and the talents together, the fact that, hey, God has called us to a specific task, so we're not going to corrupt ourselves with the ways of this world. You might say that they shared a sanctification together. Yeah. It, might, it might encourage us to continue to sharpen our brothers, to not let that word fall by the wayside. We have to have razors out sharpening one another very carefully so that we present ourselves to Messiah rightly. They also shared in sacrifices together. And we're going to see the basis of what that relationship did for them as we continue on in scripture. Daniel is the one that is going to speak to the king. Recognize that. If anybody is going to get his head lopped off for giving the wrong answer, it's going to be Daniel. But do you see what he did, what he does? He runs to his team. He brings it and submits it to his team so that they might pray, so that they might hear from the Lord. See, what we love about this is the extreme amount of loyalty that this requires. Hallelujah. It's easy to be loyal when, you know, the checks are coming in, when there's no, nobody's knocking at your door, when there's no persecution, when nothing's actually happening. But the moment when the bullets start flying, the moment when things start to get tense, 
when there are sacrifices that need to be made. And you have to put your neck out on the line and stand and represent that, hey, this is what we heard, but I'm going to go represent it to the king. You see where loyalty comes into place. And we have loyal men in this church. J.J. Moloch is a loyal man. Rob Barnett is a loyal man. And he is building the character of Christ in our body so that this is what, this is the DNA of who we are. When people walk into these doors, they see loyal men. They see friends. They see brothers. They see men walking with the same mantle, the same authority, because God has anointed it that way. This is what we're passing on to the generations. This is the line that we're continuing. And let's look how the story progresses in verse 19. Check out verse 19. It says this. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. We've already established that Daniel is the one that has to go talk to King Nebuchadnezzar and stand, to, to stand there. He may have been the face of the decision that they're seeking the Lord for, but Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were intimately involved in this life or death matter. Look at verse 23. This is Daniel speaking here. He says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. We here, you have made known to us the dream of the king. Wow. Look at what extreme loyalty and dependency on God's ordained team produces. They heard from God together. It didn't matter who received the revelation. It didn't matter who needs to go deliver the revelation because they were operating in a God-ordained team. This is a blessing. It's a certainty. That when we are working in God-ordained teams, you will encounter situations that are beyond your individual ability to discern. It's a certainty. It's a guarantee. And the pressure will be high. You'll feel that way just like Elijah did. And you will be tempted to run off and figure it out on your own and try to present it as something perfect. We're telling you right now, don't. What you need to do is no matter how difficult no matter how pressing, no matter how severe the circumstance or how expedient it would be to go off and try to figure it out on your own, what God is actually going to bless is the loyalty, is the dependency, is the sacrifice that you put in with a God-ordained team. See, God is building something here in Daniel's life. And Daniel didn't orchestrate these circumstances. He didn't orchestrate the team. But what he did is walk faithfully with the Lord and trust him, and we see what God brings to Daniel. Something that came before him, that line of God-ordained teams for God-ordained times, walking through God-ordained burdens and life-threatening situations, this line could not be broken. Even in the face of death, the line is going to continue. So the question we have is, who's next? Who's next? Speaking of who's next, as you turn to Acts 1, 21 through 26, say who's next. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us 
which of these two you have chosen to take over this of apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Notice, Matthias has been here from the very beginning from John's baptism. From the very beginning. Now, how many of you, before hearing this, just be honest, raise your hands. How many of you knew who Matthias was before we talked? Some of y'all knew. All right. Not a lot of people know who Matthias is. I know I especially didn't know before I actually engaged the supernatural word of God. It's not a household name. How many people knew his name and called him their, their favorite biblical character? No, nobody. nobody. <laughs> See, we may be unfamiliar with who Matthias is, but you know who isn't? The Lord. Because he was with him from the beginning. You know who isn't, isn't uh, unfamiliar with Matthias? His brothers, because he was with them from the very beginning. And this is the first time that you are hearing his name. What, can, what we can see here in Matthias is that he serves as an exemplary figure for how to serve faithfully the Lord and the body of Christ. This man was there when John baptized Jesus. This man was there when Jesus fed the thousands. He was there when the Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus. He was there through all these things, and he served faithfully, and he persevered. We already, we already read this scripture, but let's put it up on the screen again. This is Psalm 85, picking up in verse 10. Look at what it says. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Matthias doesn't know that if there's a spot on the team, and he wasn't there to earn one. But check this out. He is a brother Israelite. He carried the same mantle as his brother's. He was their friend until the very end. This is a man who persevered, you know, as a result, just like in Psalm 85, heaven kissed his faithfulness. Amen. The Lord actually put him in a God-ordained team. He was not overlooked at all, and he wasn't in it to get a spot. And yet the Lord has something planned for him, and it was a God-ordained team. Matthias endured all the same persecutions underwent all the same struggles, made the same great sacrifices in obedience to the gospel, all without any recognition. He wasn't vying for position. He wasn't contending for his own position or trying to build his own kingdom so he can be recognized by any man. If he did, we wouldn't be talking about him in Acts chapter 1. He wouldn't even be in the scriptures if that was his attitude going into this. Rather, rather Matthias gave himself humbly to follow the Lord's command. He cultivated the soil of his heart. He was building up his brothers. He was a gift to them. In fact, his name means he's, he's a gift, a gift of God. He was dying for their vision, and as a result, the Lord chose him and brought him into a God-ordained team. Matthias knew his fixed value. He wasn't vacillating up and down when the Lord first chose the 12. He knew why he was there, and he served as a great example of what it was like to patiently persevere until a God-ordained team is formed. Remember, he has been there since John's baptism. We can learn from this man. Yeah. To me right now, Matthias is one of the most encouraging men in the Bible. You know why? Because he had something that was pure. He had something that wasn't uh, uh, mulled over and looked over and prepared for the eyes of men. He was loving the Lord. 
He was sacrificing the exact same way that he saw his brother sacrificing. And you know what? We have men like Matthias in this church. But if you're wrestling with that, if you're wrestling with, uh, you know, where's my God-ordained team? Where, where, what's my time in, Lord? What does this look like for me? Rest assured, you can. Rest assured, the Lord is bringing it. Yeah. But can you be Matthias? Can, can, you, can you be Matthias and faithfully serve the Lord and do the things that he's telling you to do because it is the right thing to do? I can tell you that's what I want in my life. I want to be like that Matthias-like character, that Itai-like character that just wants to be with the king no matter what it costs. Amen. And you know what? We get to. We get to turn over, turn over the soils of our hearts. We get to remove the impurities. You know why? Because as we do this the right way, we can trust that God's already doing it. He knows, what, he knows exactly what needs to take place. So you know what? I'm going to walk in my station, in my lane. Not separate from my brothers, but running the race with my brothers. Amen. And that's what he's called us to do as a body. Say amen. amen. See, what the 12 went on to do, the race that they went on to run as a 12-man God-ordained team. Can you, that is amazing. A 12-man team. We're going to see that in the generations. Not far off. We're going to see that soon. Let me, let's talk about some of the things that these, this 12-man team did. 2,021 years since these men made Jesus known to the world, he is still being proclaimed, and salvation is still being proclaimed day after day. 2,021 years ago. Think about that. When you go, when we go to some of these nations that we don't even know how to say their name, and there's a Bible there, they bled for that. They sacrificed for that. When we will go to these places, you know who we're going on? We're going off of the strength of the revelation of what these men walked on. Amen. That is amazing. That's amazing. Together, they led the church in the book of Acts. Together, they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Think about that. Together, they're going to do this. And Matthias is going to judge right there alongside with him. Why? Because he fought for it? Because he really, he, he, he wanted to get in there and be a part of a team? No, because he did what the Lord told him to do. And the Lord set his placement in place. The new Jerusalem will be sitting on these 12 foundations with their names on it. We want to read to you as we get ready to close. Stand up with us. The sentiment in the heart that the Lord is calling this body to in, in so many ways. comes out of a familiar passage, a passage you all love. But in light of what he is building uh, in this church, it's going to become a, a, bur a bird for us. It's going to become what we do. This is John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friend. What do you do while you're waiting on that God-ordained team? You lay down your life. What do you do as you're operating in that God-ordained team? You lay down your life. What do you do when it's come your time to become a pillar and to, to make way for the next generation? You lay down your life. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Church, in the waiting, he's not hiding anything from us. He's already made known to us what we have to do. He's already shown us the way of life that we are learning to walk in, that we get to walk in. He's shown us through our leaders. He's shown us through the word, and he's calling us up higher to operate in it, to rip off the, the, the cover that's trying to hold back that light. He's shown us what to do. See, the thing is, you must operate in a God-ordained team because it is the biblical pattern. From the time of Moses and Aaron all the way to the book of Revelation with the two end times witnesses, this is what we get to do. You, and you know what else you get to do? You get to live faithfully within the body while God is building your God-ordained team because it is the biblical pattern. See, God is faithful. He has not changed. He is still doing this today. And we can trust the fact that when we are where he's told us to be, doing what he's told us to do, he already has it on the way. You may say, oh, I want to do this. I desire this, but I, I don't have a team. Serve faithfully in the body until he sends your partner. In the same way that we waited faithfully, painstakingly for our brides, men. In the same way. God is preparing your team. He is preparing it so we don't have to, we don't have to run out ahead. No, we're going to meet at the mountain of God doing exactly what we've been called to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what we are doing. Refuse to settle for anything less than the God-ordained God -ordained team because you can continue the line. See, we're working on it. We're we working on, on getting this right. We're cultivating it. We cultivating it within our brothers. We're not going to slow down either. We're not slowing down for you. But who's going to continue the line? That's the question we want to ask. That's right. Amen. Say, we are going to continue the line. We can look at the lives of Moses and Aaron, the lives of Elijah and Elisha, the lives of Daniel and his friends, even the 12. And we can look at the lives of those who are leading us now working in the God-ordained team. And we can look at our lives as we are working these things out, working our salvation out with fear and trembling, knowing that God wants to benefit this local body of LCM. Not only that, he wants to benefit the larger body of the One Association. And he's aiming ultimately to benefit the entire global body of Christ. So the question we have, LCM, is who's next? And the answer is we are. You're next. I'm next. We together, Adam Cora, we are next. So as we come to this altar, what we're going to do is this. We're going to be joyful, full of faith that God is already bringing Aaron on the way. He's already forming and shaping Elisha who is on his way. He's revealing it to us. He is bringing about his God-ordained team. So as I pray, Let's join victoriously, separate, celebrating with your fellow man standing shoulder to shoulder because he carries the same mantle as you. He is sacrificing just as much as you. And let's joyfully worship our king as friends together storming the gates of hell. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are the one. 
You're the one that is calling us next as a body. You're the one who is forming and shaping your God-ordained team. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. Let it get deep and down into our hearts as you're doing it in this body, as you're going to do it in the one association, and how you're going to do it in the larger body of Christ. Father, we thank you, and we glorify you, King Jesus, in Jesus' name.